The final player season review podcast today, looking at the face of the team, Tyrese Halliburton, his breakout 2022-23 campaign, in which he became an all-star, set the Pacers' identity, and pushed the team's rebuild forward. Kalen Cooper from Basketball, she wrote, and I break down everything about Halliburton's first full season with the Pacers and where he can go next. It's all coming today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers. Your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name is Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI and today. The final player season recap podcast looking at none other than Tyrese Halliburton, the face of the franchise right now, the guy leading the way, the identity setter, the rebuild speed changer, the all-star himself, Mr. Tyrese Halliburton. And of course, Caitlin Cooper from Basketball She Wrote is going to join us to break it all down. One stat, one clip, one over-under that defined Halliburton's season and his future, both guiding the Pacers and beyond. This one was awesome. He just had such a dazzling season, changing the fortunes of the team. We get into some fun numbers, some fun anecdotes, look at his skill set and what he needs to grow on. And we will, I think, be doing one more show together, Caitlin and I, but it won't be a player coaching staff in front office season review. So that will be super duper fun. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Let's just get right to it. Saving the best for last or something like that. It's Tyrese Halliburton player season review day. Caitlin Cooper is here as we do to wrap up the player season review series. We have been doing for every player one stat, one over under, and one clip to define every Pacers player's season looking back and forward. So congratulations. You have found the only basketball podcast not talking about Matt Ishbia or Nikola Jokic today. Instead, it is Tyrese Halliburton time, the all-star. Caitlin, I guess big picture starting with him the fact that they were so great when he played and so terrible when he didn't almost kind of feels like the starting point with him just because he set the team's identity so much and everything they did was kind of predicated around what he was good at that when he didn't play, they couldn't do those things as much. And I feel like some of their thing going forward with Halbert is just like if he plays 70 games instead, they're just going to be a better team because he's that good. Yeah, it was funny. Whenever he was out for the initial 10-game stint when he had the elbow and the knee injuries, it's like their defense got worse, which you wouldn't have really expected because he definitely needs to improve on that end of the floor. But then it's like, oh, yeah, when you make shots and you don't turn the ball over as much, that tends to help your defense. So it lets you set your defense. You're not having to you know, give away possessions. So he had an impact on both ends of the floor to a degree in ways that you don't necessarily expect. And like I said, I think, too, like – the pace factor was, you know, him being the identity of the team and TJ and Andrew could replicate that to a degree, but they're not necessarily generating the same quality of shots, nor do they possess the same ability to shoot the three and space the floor that Tyrese does. So yeah, the impact was immense. I think when I looked this up, when we were still doing the miles Turner pod, that if you just look at the games when miles and Tyrese were healthy, I think they played at the same win rate as the Miami Heat did this year with nearly an identical net rating. So they would have, you know, been right on the bubble of potentially being out of the play in tournament. I think it was 26 and 22 when they had both of those guys. And 
this isn't a, an obviously perfect comparison because one of these players is an MVP level player, but I was talking to Ryan Blackburn who covers the Nuggets and part of the struggle Denver's had for years is like they build so much of what they do and their identity around Jokic, which they should because he's one of the best players in the NBA. And then when name your center, DeAndre Jordan or whoever, Zeke Naji or whoever they have in as their backup centers in there, they can't play that way. It's not possible because of what Jokic is good at. And so they kind of, it, it, those minutes are just, you're going to lose them, even if you have good talent a lot of the time, because you're trying to play a style that you can't with the five players out there. And so Halliburton, I think some of the goals for the Pacers will be one, to maximize the team when he's on the floor, because he's an all-star at 23 years old, but two, figuring out how they can replicate as much of that as they can when he isn't in the game, because he is so good and they need to play to his strengths as much as they possibly can. But then when he's not out there, you still have to figure out how to do that. Yeah, I mean, they did have good bench output in certain games. Like, I mean, the second game they played against the Raptors, they absolutely, like, destroyed them. What was, what was the scoring margin? Yeah. Like, 40 bench points or something like that? I think it was more so in the games that he didn't play, where people were getting launched up top to the rotation, and now they're drawing tougher assignments. You know, like what we saw at the end of the year, where all of a sudden Benedict Mathern goes from being defended by bench players to drawing opposing teams tougher assignments. Or, you know, when Andrew Nemhard was filling in at point during the 10 games when they're out, and Buddy Heald's, like, now suddenly being defended by Mikel Bridges when that's who would have been guarding Tyrese. Like, it just created tougher put all of them into tougher spots than what they would have been used to. In addition to no longer having Tyrese's passing vision and everything else that he does out there on the court. hundred percent. And that is the hurdles they will have to figure out next year because he does set so much of their identity. And that's where we start with the clips today. There are two that are not similar, but similar at the same time. And I will start with the Rockets one, Caitlin, because this is sort of where I feel like Halberton does stuff that other Pacers and other teams even don't do. The Rockets score. It's the third quarter of the game in Gamebridge that for some reason went to overtime this season. That was almost quite the state on the Pacers record <laughs> in March. The Rockets score, and Jalen Smith takes it out to inbound. Hal Burton is already looking to run. He's begging for the ball. Chris Duarte is running. Uh, and the reason I think they're running is because the Rockets player who just scored the basket, who uh, I can't see in this clip because I'm stupid and he's out of bounds, uh, is away from the play. So they can run right away and be five on four. So Hal Burton begs for the ball and sprints up with it after a make. And all of a sudden, he's being guarded by Usman Garuba, the Rockets' big man, instead. And so because he pushed off a make, something the Pacers love to do, something Hal Burton loves to do, he already has created a mismatch. The possession just started. He doesn't even re look that hard to see where the other mismatches are. He just flips it to Jalen Smith, who's now being guarded by a smaller player. They run some action on the right side, and Chris Duarte is wide open for a three that he makes, all created because the Rockets were not guarding the player they thought they'd be guarding because Halliburton pushed off a make. The second clip is against the 76ers. This time it was a miss by Philly. Same kind of deal where Halliburton looks up the floor, pushes immediately, is guarded by Embiid, realizes he's guarded by a big, immediately gets the Pacers into a quick action, early offense, something they like to do often. He's open for a three, and he missed it. But <laughs> he created it himself by pushing early and getting a mismatch. And I think so much of what the Pacers' identity was and what made him so good sometimes is no matter what the situation was, they wanted to play fast and get into it early to create mismatches. And because you can read the game so well and understand the situation at all times, off a make, off a miss, off a turnover, the ball flies into the crowd. They're running to get it, which that actually is topical, given the news of the NBA right now. They were trying to do the same things to give him those advantages to create. And he's so his IQ is so high. Carlisle called him a basketball genius like four or five times this season that that led to advantages for the team so much. 
Yeah, both of these clips are really emblematic of everything that the Pacers tried to do in the open floor this year. And I think sometimes people think that there's not, you know, any structure to what you do in transition or how those types of shots are created and where people are supposed to run. But the Houston clip's a good one. Number one, I want to point out that Tyrese's brother is sitting next to the stanchion in this clip wearing the very (laughs) shirt that I am wearing. Oh, there we go. So that's a great plug right off the bat. But yeah, like what you pointed out, as soon as Jalen has the ball, you know, one of the things you're going to notice from Tyrese is that he practically hops up and down like he's going to jump out of his skin because he wants the ball to be inbounded so quickly. He doesn't do it here, but one of my favorite things that Tyrese does to push the pace is a lot of times while he's waiting for that person to get the ball, collect it and give it to him, he'll start peeking over his shoulder like this. So he already knows what the lay of the land is before he ever even has the ball. And that really allows him to see where passing angles are going to be, or if they're going to be able to get a two side fast break or where buddy is. But yeah, like you said, like he's practically chasing down Garuba here in order to get that mismatch. And then because he has the switch, they go into what they always do when they get a switch. And Chris sets that go screen. And this is actually a really good moment for Chris because he hits that open shot. So that's good to see. And then, like you said, in the Sixers one, it's not off a make it's off of the miss. And the Pacers are a little bit different in that a lot of times what you'll see Tyrese do when they push in transition is he attacks against the grain of the floor. He'll go diagonally. So what they want the big to do is the big basically runs pipe to pipe. Like if you imagine there's a pipe connecting the two rims, that's where they run. If they're the first big down the floor, they run straight to the rim. If they're the trailer, sometimes they'll get the ball in transition. But because Jalen's first... Tyrese cuts across and tosses it back to Buddy. So they don't often go directly into a ball screen. They go into this pitch back action first because they're kind of trained to look for early offense. Whereas if you go into a ball screen right away, you might not be looking for those early scoring opportunities as much as the Pacers do. And then everybody else runs to what spots they're supposed to be on the floor. So, I mean, I remember talking to you specifically at the beginning of the season when we did our preseason pod, and you had said that you talked to Malcolm Brogdon and Karis LeVert last year and was like, what is the identity of this team? And they couldn't tell you. And Watching watching those two clips, if you didn't watch a lot of games of the Pacers this year, you would know exactly what their identity is. Like if you look at Impredictable, they ranked second in the NBA in time to shoot after a made shot. They ranked third in time to shoot after a defensive rebound. They were going to run no matter what the circumstances was because Tyrese was going to purpose himself to do that. And it was all it was a team wide identity because they still look to push to that degree even when he wasn't off the floor when TJ McConnell and Andrew Nemhard were out there as well. Hey guys, quick little break so I can talk to you about game time. Buying tickets to your favorite events should it be stressful and game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you without that stretch. They have flash deals and last minute tickets on the game time app. It's easy to find and buy tickets for every event in your area. They have images of the view you'll get from your seat and the lowest price guarantee. Event cancellation protection and job loss protection makes game time the perfect app for any event you want to go to. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football basketball baseball concerts comedy theater and more and the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section and row for less game time will credit you 110 percent of the difference so snag the tickets without the stress with game time download the game time app create an account and use the code lockdown nba for 20 dollars off your first purchase terms apply again create an account redeem the code lockdown nba for 20 dollars off download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed yeah, I think an identity was so huge for this team. And my whole, maybe not 
maybe just Pacers centric, but like a lot of the time in the past, when I think of a team that always, you know, the, what the common media day trope, we're going to play faster and blah, blah, like in my head, transition and playing faster is mostly just like you got enough stops to run and transition during a game. And that's good. You're going to, if your pace is high from that, you're going to look good because that means you got a lot of stops. But this team finally like challenged that thinking to me where it's like, you can still be a high pace team and run all the time, regardless of your defensive effectiveness because of the way they were like the balls in the crowd. They're like begging for it, like clapping to the ref, trying to give him the ball because they want to run right away and attack uh, uh, even mostly set, but not a hundred percent set defense. Like I feel like the Pacers view that as almost an opportunity now because of the way they play. So it's like, because they're able to, like you just said, you know, get into that stuff early and get those shots up quickly in a possession, which is something they like to do attack early, get those mismatches as quick as they can and go from there. That is an identity that they have not had in the past and kind of challenged my view of what transition is or high paced play is. And sometimes high pace can also be that your defense stinks. The other team's getting a shot early in a possession, but for the Pacers specifically, I think it kind of transformed how I view getting into stuff early and playing fast in a good way. Yeah, and I don't think it was necessarily guaranteed because if we look at the end of last season over the final 26 games, like the first four games that Tyrese played, I remember I pointed out, I was like, oh, they're 13th in transition frequency. Like that's a pretty big shift from where they were at the beginning of the season. And then over the rest of the year, they fell back into the bottom 10. So you could tell that was the way that Tyrese wanted to play, but it really wasn't coming into fruition. And if you looked at, you know, Rick Carlisle's prior six seasons with Dallas, they were in, you know, the bottom five of transition frequency every year that he was there. So it was kind of, you know, how do you separate this out? How much of this is Luca wants to play methodical, Malcolm Brogdon wants to play methodical, or, you know, play calling from Rick Carlisle, and will they be able to play this type of style? And clearly he amended that. You could kind of see that you know, from how they drafted, you know, selecting Isaiah Jackson the year beforehand, selecting Kendall Brown, that they were trying to upgrade the athleticism and that this was something they were going to build around because they knew it was the strength of Tyrese Halliburton. And obviously, you know, they reworked everything that they did. And now this year they ranked fourth in transition frequency, which isn't something that you would have seen from Rick Carlisle. So I do think that that's, you know, a boon to him as well, that he recognized what his player was good at and what type of offensive team they needed to be. And they leaned all the way into it. And they're not going to, what is it, last and dunks. They're not going to be last and dunks anymore after their draft picks either, which I, did, I, I never even thought about that being a thing. But yeah, they certainly have leaned into that athleticism and style. And I think that's smart to play to the strengths of your best player. Obviously, that's smart. And and build your team out from there. Figure out how that can be your identity. And I think you have to make your roster decisions based on that too. Like to go back to Jokic, like they kind of have tried to, okay, we have Jokic, we have a hub. Let's get guys who fit the way he likes to play on both ends, and that led them to Aaron Gordon, who's been awesome for them. That led them to Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who's been awesome for them, around the guys they already have, like Murray and, and uh, MPJ. That's significant. And again, I'm not comparing Jokic and Halliburton, but just in general, when one core identity player can do so much of setting that, it makes sense to build in that way. Uh, now, Kalen, I need to flip to a stat. And that is... An on-off number. Ugh, my least favorite usually, but I would like to do it here. Actually, not even an on-off number, really. But with Halliburton on the floor this season, Kalen, do you know what the Pacers' defensive rating was? With him on? Yes. I'm going to guess it's like 115. Oh, it's it's much higher. <laughs> our, our good old friends at PBP Stats with Tyrese Halliburton on the floor this season. 800, excuse me, 1,883 minutes. The defensive rating was 119.8. Yeah. 
extremely high. And the offense was awesome, right? Nearly best in the league levels. Uh, don't compare lineups to teams, but really good at almost 119 offensive rating. Clearly, they can score when he's in the game. If they get their defense to a level, even at 116-ish, that's a plus two net rating. That's one of the better teams in the league. And it's not to say that it's Tyrese Halberton's fault. Their defense isn't good. He's a very good team defender. We've talked about that on one of these review podcasts as well as before. But the lineups he's a part of, sometimes playing fast can be exhausting, have not been good on defense. And so his defensive growth and the lineups he's a part of defensive growth will go a significantly long way to me because he's going to be playing 30 to 35 minutes a game in the Pacers going from a the fringe play-in team like they were this year to where they want to be next year, which is that 45-50 win range as they have described in their exit interview processes. Yeah, over the course of the season, it was interesting to see how teams adjusted to him and, and attacking him because the very first game they played against the Raptors, Pascal and Fred Van Vliet were out and he was being defended or Otto Porter Jr. was guarding him. And I remember I just kept thinking to myself, for as much mismatch hunting as the Raptors do, that I couldn't believe they weren't using Otto Porter Jr. as the screener more so that they could play bully ball against Tyrese. Like he wasn't the player they were hunting. And for a lot of the season, like the first half, teams weren't really doing that. And then after the All-Star break, when he came back from that injury, you really started to see opponents doing it. The game they played against the Utah Jazz stands out most in my head because they were doing it with Laurie Markkinen and they were doing it with Colin Sexton. If any, if either of them could get Tyrese on a switch, they were trying to do it to the point where they were pre-switching buddy. The Pacers were pre-switching buddy into screening actions to get Tyrese out of it. And there was little things that you could tell that the Pacers were kind of like, Oh, red alert, red alert, because you know, they're playing Dallas. And if Luca got a switch against Tyrese, somebody was at the nail. As soon as that switch happened, they looked like they were in a quasi zone. Like we have to have somebody right at the nail the minute that happens, providing a passive deterrent because we don't think that he can stay in front against those bigger bodies. And that's something that Tyrese himself, something that I always appreciate about him is how self-reflective he is. And, you know, he mentioned like, I have to get stronger. Like I'm going to be in the weight room this summer because a lot of this is just me getting overpowered, which I think I agree with. I think generally his positioning at the point of attack isn't that bad. He just, he gets overwhelmed by bigger bodies and that affects them on the glass as well, because he is a guy that they don't put at the point of attack. He guards off ball against bigger wings a lot. And then he can't box out against those bigger bodies. So that exacerbates some of what they do, what they give up on the glass. And in addition to what they're already giving up defensively with him out on the floor. But I liked what you brought up and I'd like to get your feedback on that. Cause you talked about, you know, them playing at this faster pace. And sometimes a few of them mentioned in exit interviews, like if we get more stops, we can run even more. And it's like, where, where's like the Mendoza line of this, where you <laughs> run so much that is it having a diminishing return on what right. you do on the defensive end versus, oh, if we get stops, you know, we can we can up this transition frequency even more. Because sometimes I did wonder that, like as much as was being put on Tyrese to carry the load offensively, how much was that impacting them defensively? And because they have this mentality to constantly be push, 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 they ranked like what, 11th in steal percentage, ninth in opponent turnover rate, where sometimes he could get caught gambling away from the ball on occasion. Yep. Like maybe there was such an ingrained mentality to be turning opponents over because they want to establish that pace that that led to some of that as well. If they if they play the way they talk, they'd have like six seconds per average offensive possession. <laughs> and then maybe that's fine. But yeah, they'd be exhausted for defense. The reason I... I bring that up is because it's funny looking at the on-off numbers. Like when he's in there, the opponent two-point percentage, 54.8. When he's out, it's 55.4. So it goes up a little bit. 
three-point percentage. When Tyrese Halliburton's on the floor, the opponents shoot 37.3% from deep. When he's not out there, it's 37.25, almost the same. So a big part of this is rebounding and fouling, a lot of fouling, right? That yeah. is letting teams get these extra points and what causes fouling, guys getting blown by, right? Or, you know, having to rotate or, you know, something like that being out of place commonly, at least, leads to a foul somewhere. And I think that's a big part of it is it's either exhausting or just guys are commonly in rotation and the best outcome is actually to foul someone instead of contesting because their shot is so open, right? I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, and even stuff that they do off ball, like there was a very telling possession too against the Hawks where you could literally hear Wara say, like, I'm going to kick you out. Like, I'll kick out on the screen approach and, and you stay off ball. And then they ended up messing up what the off ball pin down was because war is not great at that to begin with. But again, like these are telling things when you need to put buddy healed and Jordan Wara for size purposes or whatever reason you're doing it into the action. So Tyrese can stay off ball. That's a bit of a warning flag for me. So I, it sounds like Tyrese is really going to put the effort in this summer to try to correct some of this. So we'll see how it looks at the beginning of next season, but it is tough. Like, you know, we saw what the numbers were when he and Buddy and Benedict Matherin were on the floor at the same time. They had an otherworldly offensive rating, but the defense, as you pointed out, just with, with Tyrese on the floor, like that's pretty dicey. If you're not hitting shots, like it's it's tough. One more break here, guys, so I can talk to you about Prize Picks, who's doing a $1 million daily Superflex promotion during the NBA playoffs. Every day during the postseason, one Prize Picks user will get a chance of becoming a millionaire. Just place an entry. After 8 a.m. Eastern, one will be randomly selected every day. The winner with six correct picks could get a million dollars. Five, you get 80,000, and four, you get 16,000. Go to pricepicks.com slash million to opt in at that link and try to win the million dollars. How does price picks work? Daily fantasy made easy. Super fun concept. You pick a player, and will they go over under their projection on a certain stat? Will Kevin Durant have more or less than six and a half assists for the Suns? For example, you pick two to six players, you can up to 25 times. Your money, they can do it for any sport you watch NBA, NFL, MLB, whatever you can make your picks in a minute or less. It's safe, it's operational in over 30 states in Canada. Fast withdrawals, you got to try it. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code lockdown. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. You deposit $50, they'll give you $50. But you got to enter the promo code lockdown and sign up for that instant deposit match up to $100 at Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Made Easy. And I don't even mean to pick this number to say like this is a this is a problem. He's not a good defender. Like the Pacers are farther away than maybe they said that. I pick this to say like all they have to do is get a little bit better on defense to be a much better team because he, he the floor of him out there on offense is enormously high, right? Like he just can be such exactly, an engine yeah. on that end that I feel like that is that might even with a very similar team next year to this year. Like if their offseason doesn't go the way they want and they're a very similar roster from next year to this year, even if it's just when Halburn's out there, their defensive rating's 117. Like that's only a two-point growth, but that is massive for the ripple effects it has both on their offense and their team in general because that booster net rating significantly with the lineup that's out there all the time. So it's not even to say he's a bad defender, he has to get better. Let's let's critique this from his season. It's just a minor increase there, I think, would get the Pacers really close to what their goals are, even with very little newness of players. Yeah. Cause you have to wonder like, sense? I just said that so poorly. <laughs> no, it did because like, if there is a minor tweak and I've said this on some of our other pods, but if you have a little bit more size at that four position to put on opposing teams wings and you're not having to double as much, then you're not in rotation as much right. when he's out there. So 
you know, that's an aspect of this as well. And when you're not in rotation as much, when you're not sacrificing a defender and you can send more people to the glass and have an even battle, you might be a little bit better on the glass than what they were this year. So that's a certain part of it. I will say I'm a little bit more concerned by some of the Tyrese defense stuff, just because like if this was a team that was going to be in the postseason or in a play in tournament situation, I do think that teams as it stands now would be very aggressive in hunting him, not just because of what the state of his defense is, but because there is an incentive because of how important he is and what they do in transition to wear him out as much as possible and to put him in those types of actions. And the Pacers did try using some, you know, quick shows with him, which I thought, you know, he put quite a bit of effort into. They had a couple good moments like that against Dallas where he stepped out to show so that they could keep Neesmith on the Luka matchup. But that's, that's tiring to do to step out and take those hits and have to get back to your guy. Um, that's pretty exhausting. So I, I remain cautious to see what it looks like at the beginning of next season. Yeah. Sometimes too, with on offs, it can just be like, he's a part of one bad lineup and yeah. buddy healed. I don't think is a great defender either. So even taking that out of it, Halliburton on buddy healed off Pacers defensive rating. This is only 378 minutes. So small sample galore. Uh, <laughs> 123.2 extremely bad, right? Like it's not just that part necessarily, like they, there's a lot of growth needed in general from the team on defense when he's out there. And that includes from Halliburton himself for the reasons that he stated and that you've stated. Let's go back to his strengths far over under, shall we? <laughs> uh, this number kind of blows my mind and I'm going to use it as my over under for next year. I'm curious how you feel about this because he is so masterful with the ball in his hand. If you think it makes sense for the Pacers to continue to have him at a similar volume next season, even if they would like to be as good of a team. So my number for my over-under is 20. And that is potential assists per game from Tyrese Halbert. And this past season, it was 19.8, far and away the highest number in the NBA. Trey Young was second at barely over 17. And it's not even that Halliburton threw the most passes. He didn't. Jokic did. And it's not even that he had the most assists. He was second behind Harden and the other guys right on him. But he threw it to the guy who shot it a lot because he's very good at reading the game. And I think they should continue to do that a lot. But I'm curious as their talent gets better, or they they hope their talent gets better, if you feel like that number will be over or under 20, or I guess 19.8. Just use the same number next season. I would probably take the under, you know, it's such a tough thing when you have one of the best pick and roll creators in the NBA, which is what Tyrese Halliburton is both as a scorer and as a passer, it's very hard to make the argument in a regular season game that some of that should be siphoned from him because of who you're giving it to. But because of what we saw from Andrew Nemhart over the back end of the season and because what you would see in certain matchups like the first game against the Heat, for example, when they were trying to avoid going head on against Bam Adebayo and, and Tyrese was kind of being used off ball some and ghost screening actions and ghost flare action to move Bam to the weak side. There are situations like that where if you have Andrew and he can initiate and you can run some type of off-ball action to bring Tyrese back to the ball, given that the guy shoots close to 40% on catch-and-shoot threes, that there could be value in having a secondary playmaker. And we do see in the playoffs that sometimes teams that lean very heliocentric, that doesn't always work as well in the playoffs, especially because Tyrese isn't really somebody who does a ton of mismatch hunting. We saw him do more of that in closing time and it was successful for him like against the Clippers like he really hunted 
Luke Kennard and went at that matchup and became the closer that the Pacers needed to have. But to your point, like, yeah, led, led the NBA in touches, led the NBA in passes from the guard position. I do think Jokic was slightly ahead of him overall, but he's not somebody who dominates the basketball and is looking for all those isolations right. because I was curious to find out there were 17 players in the NBA this year who averaged over six minutes of time of possession. Tyrese averaged 7.5. And I went and filtered those on synergy to see how often all these people from a frequency of their own possessions isolated and Tyrese ranked 14th. So the only people in that pool of players who isolated less frequently than him was LaMelo who spent a lot of this season injured and Fred Van Fleet. So who the Raptors do a lot of mismatch hunting with their wings. So that makes sense as well. So it's, he's almost like negative space. in a lot of times, like, yes, he has the ball a lot, but he's very inclusive with the way that he has the ball a lot. So yeah, like he creates a lot of direct scoring opportunities and there's every reason for the Pacers to do that. But for me personally, I would like to see them work in a way where like, if Andrew Nemhart is going to remain the starter, that they, they mix in more possessions where Andrew Nemhart is the lead ball handler and they, they run, Tyrese away from the ball. Do I think that's going to be a significant increase? No, but I probably want to take the over on 20 potential assists per game because that's just like an outlandish number from Tyrese this season to begin with. Like 19 is a ton. I think that he could, he could go over 20, but I think if they do, they have, there no chance playoffs team. That was words in a row. The last guy to go over 20, Caitlin, do you know who it was? You'll, I'll say it and you'll go, oh, duh. Russell Westbrook in his wizard season was the last guy to go over 20. That team got smoked in the first round. You know who the player before that was? It was Russell Westbrook in his final season with the Thunder. Thunder. That team got smoked in the first round. Before that, it was Russell Westbrook again. And then there was a season of three guys who did it. It was James Harden winning the MVP, Westbrook in his third to last season with the Thunder, and John Wall, for some reason, uh, his final fully healthy season with the Wizards. The Rockets team was amazing, but most of the time, having one guy doing that much creation from a team context has not led to success in the postseason. And so in that way, one, I would say under because they need to build more varied habits to be successful come playoff time if they would like to be. And reason two, I'll say under, even though I think he could do it and it would accentuate their positives when he's out there. Reason two, I think the answer is going to be under is this was really illuminating. I don't know if you remember this, but it was late in the season uh, late in Halliburton's like tear of season, like early January or late December when it was right after the Wally stuff and he was going all crazy in the clutch and he'd one game where he was kind of passive in the fourth quarter. And he described himself being passive as being selfish because he would be looking to pass like he does, you know, like he's naturally gifted at. And, and he viewed that as selfish because it was, helping him almost like play the way he wanted, but he knows that he is the best option sometimes to shoot in the clutch, right? He needs to be a guy who is trying to get the shots up in those moments. And so by not making the team play, which is him scoring, he is being selfish by default. It's kind of confusing to think about, but when he described that, I thought that makes sense. And so I think when he had that realization, I think that his potential assist number will go down because there'll be moments next year where he goes, Oh, okay, I'm the guy who needs to be looking to score on this possession. Maybe that's not isolation per se, like you laid out already, but in some sort of ways, him looking to hunt his shot can often be the Pacers' best source of offense. And so maybe that is also a factor in him lowering that number a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I remember 
he turned the tide on it, but when they were on that West Coast road trip and they played Minnesota, I think Aaron Neesmith ended up taking like three or four threes at the end of that game, and in part because Jaden McDaniels was really giving Tyrese quite a bit of trouble defensively in that game. But there was opportunities for Tyrese to score, and he was looking to pass, similar to what we had seen at the end of last season, You know, where he only led the team in field goal attempts three times. There was games where they'd go to Detroit, and suddenly Malcolm Brogdon's running all the offense, and he's off ball. Or Lance Stevenson takes four shots in an overtime against the Oklahoma City Thunder, and Tyrese is really deferring to him. So in that way, like you know, it's not like a study of himness. It's not going back to the Miami Heat days where Skip Bayless used to scrutinize LeBron James for two days on first take about whether he took the last shot or not. But part of making the right read in those situations is knowing when the read is for you. And I think that Tyrese really did make strides in that over the, you know, by the end of the season, especially with the game winner that he made against the Bulls. Because not only did he say, like, there was no way I wasn't going to take that shot, but it was a type of coverage that Tyrese has kind of historically struggled against. They were weaking him, forcing him to his left. He stopped and popped and hit that shot going to his left. And also like he overrode what the play call was that Rick Carlisle made. Like Rick called for a completely different play. And you could see them like having a conversation at the free throw line and Rick deferred and was like, you got something like, okay. And Tyrese called a completely different play, knew what he wanted and went to it. Like that was a big growth moment for both sides there for tire for Rick to not be necessarily like, he's always kind of been seen as this micromanager and what the relationship was with Luca and that that's really turned with Tyrese. And also for Tyrese to be like, this is my time, which is not something that we were seeing at the back end of last season. I did look at his clutch scoring numbers and here's an interesting one for you. Like the Pacers had already eclipsed their clutch record by the end of December by comparison to what it was the prior year. Well, okay. But, Last year's was like the worst team ever in the clutch kind of stuff. But exactly. Yeah. But that's the point. <laughs> yeah, like, right. He scored Tyree scored 94 clutch points this season and you know, he missed however many games Brogdon and Levert combined last year scored 95. My God. So like, obviously Levert wow. was traded at the trade deadline and didn't play the second half of the season, but still like that wow. shows you that, like, I always think back to the quote that Kevin Pritchard had and that article that, the, that was the glorified role player one that miles had with the athletic. And within it, he said, you know, we need to find that manufactured real star. And then on Twitter, he kind of qualified himself and said, you know, I was being interviewed for a long time. That's not what word I wanted to use. I wanted to say, we needed to find somebody who could help us in closing time. They found somebody who can help them in closing time. Like, undeniably, I think that they've located that person. How much of that Bulls sequence that you referenced was uh, that Patrick Beverly may have happened to be on the floor for that play? No, he was he was weaking Tyrese. I mean, he... That's true. He was. I, I think after the Lakers comment, Ty was like, oh, I kind of want to shoot over this guy. <laughs> I'm sure that that was probably somewhat in his mind, yes. <laughs> But yeah, I agree that that was a big part of it. And it's uh, I guess you're right. I shouldn't just say, oh, they were so bad in the clutch last year. You can't even compare them. But that's part of it. They didn't have somebody who could do that. So anyway, to bring it back to the over-under, I think that's part of why I think it'll be under two. And I'm curious how much under it will go because, again, he was still almost three potential assists above the second best guy. And that's Trey Young, who's also thought of as this like high-volume pass all the time or create all the time kind of guy. So I will be curious for that number settles in next year and it, it like you said it might depend on who's around him in the opening five or who they get that eschews Nembard to a certain spot basically where's Andrew Nembard in the rotation is kind of going to influence the answer of that one so that that I think will be defining for him a little bit in terms of where he feels like he grew as an offensive player and what his role needs to be and how much the team grew on that end of the floor and can actually make stuff happen 
from a creation perspective with Adam. And maybe it's just like Matherin becomes an awesome isolation score and they don't need a setup there. You know, it could be a number of things, but I think that number will be telling to see how the team grows next year. And that's one of the reasons, like when you define what an impact player is, that's one of the things that's good about Tyrese is that he is very scalable. He's a guy who can, you know, play in the way that he did last year. Or if you do find somebody else and you want to dial that back, he can do things away from the ball. He's that caliber of a shooter. He knows how to move away from the ball. I mean, that was one of my favorite things this year when he attacked switches was faking that righty step back three, drawing the big passing off the ball and then cutting in front of the switch. Like he does have that know-how where he doesn't just stand there like if he doesn't have the ball he doesn't just stand there and be like you know okay i'm checked out this is an opportunity for me to rest like he still continues to do things they do run actions for him like where he'll be in the corner going into chicago buddy will set a turn screen and then they bring him back to the ball from there i do think we could see a little bit of movement from this because in one of the two last games that tyrese played before he was out for the year like and maybe some of it was him being limited from his ankle, but there were possessions where you saw Andrew bringing the ball up the floor, and they were running off ball actions for Tyrese. So, um, I think that that's something that we probably will see. I don't think it's going to be a huge increase, but I I think that it will be a thing that happens. I agree. I think one other thing that I would talk about with Halliburton season, actually, too. Also, I almost jokingly made my over under Buddy Heel dunks. <laughs> More or less for Tyrese <laughs> Halvern. did end up winning the dunk contest despite playing fewer games. Uh, is the amount of self-created shots he had this past season. His whole career has just continued to go boop, 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 down, down, down. I think that's really telling of his offensive growth as well. Less than 50% of his threes are assisted. Like, that's crazy. And I get that he has the ball out, but that's wild. And even his 2% percentage of assisted is below one-fourth of his twos. Like, the, with the percentage he finishes at the rim and his floater game coming on a little bit, the fact that he can be so efficient without, you know, someone else creating it, 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 again, some of this comes down to his pick and roll uh, magic abilities, but I just think that is also really telling because he's going to require a lot of defensive attention just because of that. He can create a shot with the ball at any time with very little going on around him. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think his overall unassisted rate was 67.5%. And last year with the Pacers, it was 60. So, and on the twos, I think he almost saw a 10% increase. So that was big because he didn't get to the rim a ton. Like he's not somebody who, who pressures the rim a lot, but he got there more often this season where he did take a few more extra dribbles out of floater range. And that matters for two reasons for him because, because teams like to weak him when you weak him and force him like force him away from screens on his right and he goes into his floater because you're weakening him you're able to contest and be right on that shot like we saw that at the end of the game against Dallas so if he can get to the rim a little bit more that makes that a more difficult contest and then i think that he worked a lot on creating better attack angles so he wasn't just attacking shoulder to hip he was attacking to the palm and keeping his hips wider so that he could be shiftier and get past guys. Like you would see that when he would stand in place that he would be able to attack a little bit wider to get past the the big or get to the guy so that he was getting into the paint. Like you could see that that was work that he put in over the summer. So um, yeah, the unassisted rate was a good thing to see from him as well because there were times last year where I had some wonders like, is he going to be able to deal with this problem of getting bottled up against switches and deferring in those situations? And you saw him find, whether it was the move I described earlier, the step back, and they get off the ball, the hunting, the switch pocket, becoming more shifty in those situations. Sometimes if he got a big, you'd attack really hard into the paint and then back up to the right wing. And because his speed had created so much of, you know, that big backpedaling, he would then have space to shoot. So 
he did find another a number of hacks. So I think that there's reason to believe that when he puts in work in the summer, he's probably going to come back with something new that we haven't seen before because just how much he did over last summer to this year. I have one more thing I want to get in before I lob general thoughts to you. You said something on one of these, I can't remember which one now, which I should, about how a good way to to kind of view a lens of a player of strengths and weaknesses is to see how their old team defends them. And when the Pacers played the Kings in Sacramento, I'll never forget Malik Monk, who wasn't even Halburn's teammate <laughs> ever in Sacramento, going, yeah, we forced him left. Like it was, it was that easy for us to kind of slow him down. And he had nine points and 10 assists that game. And even at home in the game, the Pacers beat the Kings. Fox did not play, but he had 10 and nine, right? He did not particularly have effective games against the Kings. And their whole game plan was like, no, we're forcing left as often as we can. How much do you feel like left handed attacks or in general counters to that strategy is a part of his growth next season? Yeah, so that was actually the reason why I tweeted that that night was because last year when they played the Kings, and obviously that was still his same coach, he didn't play for Mike Brown, but he he played for Alvin Gentry, and Davian Mitchell right from the tip was weaking him. They were forcing him left, and then they were switching, which was making it even more difficult. It was weak to switch, so I wrote a whole article about that and being like, you know, this is telling because this team knows him better than anyone. Sometimes we get into the dynamics of the reverse of it, that like, oh, Tyrese knows all the Kings plays, which not that that doesn't matter at all. It does, but when when you watch, then you can see like where that player's weaknesses are. So yeah, that carried over into both of those games this year. And like I said, the place that it impacts him, I think the most when he gets forced left is, is when he gets into floater range, because when you're sitting on the guy's right hip and because he's a right-handed shooter, when he gets into the paint to go to the floater, you're able to contest right into that player's hand. So at the end of the game against Dallas, that, that showed up like two or three times where he tried to get into the floater and he couldn't. So if he continues to get into the rim, that becomes a little bit more difficult. And then the other thing that he'll do, which I think is why he altered the play call in that game against the Bulls is when they run like um, Spain pick and rolls where that creates more tension with Buddy as the back screener and and how you're going to switch that. He'll immediately in certain circumstances, if you're going to weak him, he'll immediately use a quick cross and go left and stop and pop. If he can, if he can be really quick and get into his pull up three, he's okay. But if if he can't get to that, then that's when it becomes a little bit more difficult because the Pacers do run most of the action for him to get downhill to his right. You're not going to see them run a lot of double drags or anything else for him to get to his left. But they did against the Kings because then at least he could use the screen because like you still want him to go left. So then at least he's you know getting his defender peeled off a lot, but they don't do that naturally for him. So um, I think it's still something he needs to work on, but he did find you know a few avenues around it over the back end of the season. He even half joked about it in his recovery from that left elbow injury, right? Because he said, "Oh, I, you know, thank God it's my left because I don't go left or something like yeah. that." In one of his practice interviews, right? Like he he knows, but I also think that's good, you know, because then he knows he needs to improve on it. All right, the floor is yours if you have anything you would like to add to, or about Tyrese Halliburton's first full season with the Pacers or his long term outlook. Yeah, my um, overall take is that jump passes are good now. We don't need to <laughs> criticize jump passes anymore, especially when they're thrown by Tyrese Halliburton. That's that's the number one caveat when they're thrown by Tyrese Halliburton, who's a counterculture um, icon of count basketball counterculture. We don't need to criticize it. And when the player jumps because they have an idea, it's perfectly fine. If they jump because they've run out of ideas, that's where we can be critical. But um, thank you, Tyrese Halliburton, for uh, revolutionizing the way that we view basketball, both with your shooting form and with your unique way of creating <laughs> passing windows. Um, we probably could have even talked about that a lot longer, just how magic and 
how much artistry there is from him with the way yep. that he opens up um, opportunities for his teammates around the rim and from three with his eye manipulation and everything else that he does, a cut dribble, the way he freezes the defense. Um, just a really fun player to watch overall and excited to watch him continue to grow with the Pacers. I know you talked about how you chronicled all those passes clip-wise and stat-wise. Was there like one jump pass that made you go, oh, I should write about this? Or, you know, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever explained that. I just noticed that he was leaving his feet a ton in the very first game that they played, and I wrote down, I was like, you know, I'm gonna, I think that this is really highly effective for him, but I don't really have time to be doing that right now, but that could be a really cool summer project. But I think the one that stood out the most is when, you know, he jumped and did a spin when it was a Spain pick and roll against Memphis when he found Isaiah Jackson. And then a few times where you'd be like, okay, you would never in your life think when they were playing the Orlando magic and at least one player has a foot in the paint at both blocks and both elbows, that that's going to be a lob pass. And yet because what he does with his eyes and because also his, his size for position that he has, he's able to get people to spray out from there. And that's how he unpacks the paint is with his passing vision to be able to make that a lot pass. So um, just a lot of things that he has this outside in passing progression. That's really unique. Like a lot of times that's why people sink in from the weak side is because they're trying to leave the longest pass open because they know they have time to recover on the flight of the ball. But when it's Tyrese and he's playing that cat and mouse game, a lot of times point guards will eye underneath the basket first because that's the closest pass. And then they'll look to three Tyrese oftentimes looks to three gets that guy to run out to the corner. And then he gets the guy right open under the rim. So that's why I like to call him a counterculture because he just does a lot of things that run counter to the way that we were told to play basketball or the way that defenses are set up. And a lot of times that's why he's so effective. I almost equate it to like, a football trope where they say a, a quarterback looked off a defender, right? Like he was staring mm-hmm. at a certain receiver. So someone drifted that way. It's almost like that, except very, very, very fast. <laughs> and in one second, which is, which is honestly the most impressive part to me is that he's able to do it in a snap of a finger when I don't even realize where all 10 players are on the court from my aerial view. Yeah. My like favorite little piece of Tyree's nuance is when he, celebrates his own passes like he's been spun out of a rug or he's being spun out of a ribbon and he twirls really quick it reminds me of Taz from Looney Tunes sometimes yeah like I don't just nobody else does that it's it's like when when Trey Young like jumps when he's throwing a lob pass like as he's doing it like it's just it just makes it that much more fun to watch when players have fun viewers have fun that is my imagine (laughs) yeah can you believe that I'm looking forward to watching him grow more too and especially as now the team knows what their identity is and what he can do and how good he is i think it'll make their decision making about that and i think that will only make him look especially because he's 23 but make him look better as he gets better too so it's just it's gonna be a fun era of pacers basketball caitlin that is my tyrese halbert and take to close out this yeah and i think mine would just be that like think how much different everything you just said is from where they were prior to that trade deadline like they have a clear identity and they have a direction and they're all the chips are behind a player because that's something we probably could have brought up that like he is being involved in these decisions in a way that was not the case with the prior players who were even stars on this team i mean we can vividly remember you know larry bird saying paul george doesn't make the decisions around here about playing the four spot that summer or you know 
Victor kind of being referred to as being part of a complementary core, and they never really embraced Sabonis as being a star player. The roster certainly wasn't built around him in that way. And now you can tell like this team's being built with Tyrese Halliburton in mind. Every decision's being made with Tyrese Halliburton in mind. And that just provides a lot of clarity, not only from a media standpoint, but also in how you evaluate the basketball that's being played. Even before this year, the fact that Jake Fish reported this, right? Like Halliburton was a part of the eight and pitch. I thought that was extremely noteworthy that, you know, especially after seeing him in the hotel room with Ben on that draft thing, I thought, okay, th- th- there is something to this, and his play certainly backed that up. And I can't wait to watch more of him. Caitlin, talk about where people can find your work covering Tyrese Halberton and jump passes and Pacers things alike. Right. So handle is there on the screen. If you're listening to the podcast, it's at C2 underscore Cooper. If you go there in my bio, you'll find the link to Patreon, patreon.com slash basketball. She wrote where you can find all of these podcasts and the clips that we've included. If you want to watch along with what we're describing in case my explanations weren't super clear and you want to be able to see it yourself, that'll be there. And then, yeah, I'm wearing, if people can't see it, I'm wearing the jump passes are good now shirts, which Tyrese's brother was nice enough to wear in that one clip. So there's also a link there to T public. If you want to get one yourself, I'm more than happy for you to order one. I like that you're promoting it by saying Tyrese's brother wore it and not that literally Tyrese Halliburton himself <laughs> wore it. Tyrese did wear it too, yes. He wore it to <laughs> a home game can. into the tunnel. Thank you for doing that, Tyrese. <laughs> uh, he's, he cares a great deal about those walk-ins too, so I think that that is the highest compliment he could possibly give. Yeah, giving up, giving up a style moment to wear my humble T-shirt. Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean giving up? <laughs> well, let's let's be honest here. This is not you know, a high powered Armani suit. This is a t-shirt. <laughs> I see no difference. <laughs> As someone who wears the same seven articles of clothing in some sort of combination every single day. It makes it easier for my podcast appearances. I mean, I haven't really worn many of these t-shirts, but when I'm doing my popsicle content, I don't have to think about what I'm going to wear. It's just go grab <laughs> one of those t-shirts and put that on. <laughs> this is what people care about. We should have scrapped the first 45 minutes of Halbert and talking talked about how we pick what clothes to wear for video podcast. <laughs> that, <laughs> That's what people. people came here for. <laughs> uh, later this week on this show, talking about war lottery stuff, what it would look like for the Pacers if they landed at one, two, three, four, etc. cetera. Uh, Going to talk about Brandon Miller. One of these days, an interesting prospect, both in terms of play and in terms of aura and potentially another show with Caitlin schedule TVD on the days for all of that stuff. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope you had a fantastic day. See you soon.